0: Well, I want to welcome you to Metro. I'm so glad that you're joining us here, especially for those who are joining us via video at Riverview. We are so glad that you guys are here. We love you guys, and it is great to be one church together. Amen? Well, listen, I've heard that the best teachers are the teachers that know their material, and the best teaching is from those who really, really know their material. So you are going to love tonight. You are absolutely going to love tonight because we are talking about the topic of pride, And I am an absolute expert on pride. I mean, I could teach the class on pride. We would have lessons like this. This is what the lessons would be, is like how to value what you want over the people that you say you love. Wouldn't that be great? Because of your pride, right? Uh, Or how to hold tightly to resentment for decade after decade because of your pride. Or here would be a class that that I could teach this. How to not apologize even when you act like an idiot, right? because of your pride. Well, the truth is, all of us, my guess is, is that we struggle with pride, every single one of us. The problem is that we're too proud to admit it, right? But, but it's real. This idea of pride is real in all of our lives. I remember, uh, Lynette and I were married just for like a couple years, I was like 20 years old. Any 20 year olds in the house, any late teens, early 20s? Okay, let's just be honest. When you're in your early 20s, you are young and dumb, okay? Okay, listen, that was kind of rude. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'll take that back. Uh, I was young and dumb in my early 20s, all right? I was young and dumb in my early 20s. And, and what's worse than being young and dumb in your early 20s is when you have a uh, young and smarter wife in her 20s. That's, that's worse, you know? But what's worse than being young and dumb and what's worse than having a smarter wife when you're in your 20s uh, is that when your wife warns you against something that you're about to do And you go, no, this will be perfectly fine. I don't see a problem with this at all. And she warned you and warned you and warned you. But you say, honey, it'll be okay. Trust me, right? So in my early 20s, I started buying and selling these houses. By the time I was 21, I I flipped a few houses and and I came across what I thought to be a sweet, and I mean a sweet, Deal. It was in the city of Carlton or the village of Carleton. Anybody familiar? Village of Carleton, sweet. And, uh, and there was this house, it was a duplex. You know what a duplex is? It's like a two for one deal. I was thinking I was getting two houses for the price of one. This is amazing, right? So it's a duplex and, uh, and, and when you're young and dumb, uh, you, you think everything is just great and everything is gonna be fixed just by hard work and a little bit of paint, right? But my young and smart wife, she says to me, this, this, is, this is a rough house. You, you know that, right? It'll be fine. Honey, this is great. So, you know, a couple of buddies and I, you know, we get to work on the place, and, and as soon as I get to work on it, these older guys, you know, started coming around, and, and, and they start saying stuff to like, like, you know, uh, Jeremy, uh, your, your, your roof has some serious issues in it. I'm like, what? That roof's perfect. I have no idea what you're talking about. It's perfect. And they're like, what do you mean perfect? You can't notice that if you like look from end to end, there's like a one foot sag in your roof. Like the whole thing is like ready to, to like fall through, you know, and, and I stop and I look at it and I go, well, oh, yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe you're right. And that's when, you know, my young and smart wife starts to say, honey, maybe we should have gotten an expert to look at this before we, you know, bought it. And I'm like, honey, I am the expert, Right but only I wasn't, right? Um, So I finally go up into the attic uh, after I buy the house, not real smart, I go up into the attic and it looked like my barbecue grill. Apparently there was a fire in the attic and it was like completely burned out and it was like barely hanging on up there. And I'm like, this is not good. So I don't know how much you know about housing, but a roof ready to collapse in is generally not a good thing, I found out. And and so I get to work on it and and my wife says, do do you know what to do? And I'm like, I'm 20 years old. Of course, I know what to do. I can do this, sure, right? And so we start to, you know, a couple buddies of mine. Uh, we we start to tear off the roof. We start with the shingles, and you know, then then the wood comes off, and and, and it's one thing after. You ever worked on an old house? Anybody ever worked on an old house? It's one bad thing leads to another bad thing leads to another bad thing. Well, before we know it, uh, I literally take all the wood off the roof. And I don't mean just like the top wood. I mean like the rafters, like the trusses, everything's gone. So it looks like a two-story cardboard box without a roof. I mean, this is like not good. And and so my wife again comes to me and says, are are you sure you know what you're doing? I'm like, of course, it'll be fine. Right. And, And so I start to realize, have you ever taken apart a big old house? I mean, that's literally what we did. We took apart the house and it creates a huge pile of debris. I mean like, when I mean huge, what I mean by huge is huge. It's like massive. I mean this pile is like half the yard, right? And, and so I start to think about this big pile of, of debris and, and wood and, and I'm like, man, that's gonna be very expensive to get rid of that stuff, very expensive. And I'm thinking this is gonna be a lot of work. I mean just, this is gonna be very time consuming and very, very difficult. And so I, I get this brilliant idea along the way, I I say, this is a problem that one simple match would fix. Just one match. And again, did I tell you I was young and dumb? So my young and smart wife says to me, Jeremy, I don't think this one match trick is a very good idea. And I say, honey, I don't see what the problem will be. It will be fine, I got it, don't worry about a thing. And so, of course, I strike the match and light the thing up. Have, have you ever seen 100-year-old Woodburn? Um, it went up, like, in the first 10 minutes, I thought I was absolutely brilliant. I'm like, this is a brilliant idea. I mean, this is just going to save me so much time and work. And then about about 10 minutes into it, I realized this is a really dumb, dumb idea. Did, did I tell you I was in the middle of the village of Carlton? When I say the middle, I mean, like, we are one block off of Main Street in the dead middle of town, a block from the fire department. And did I tell you that we built this massive, and when I say huge, I mean bigly. We're talking big, right? This pile of lumber, it was five feet from the edge of the road between two telephone poles, right underneath the main city trunk of electrical and telephone wires. And once a fire of this capacity gets going, you can't stop it, right? And and so this fire, it was literally like 30 feet tall. And, and I knew I was in trouble when when the police department showed up, the fire department showed up. Listen, when elected officials show up, you know you are in trouble, right? And then Edison shows up and says, we got electrical problems all over the city, you know? So. Some things, uh, when, when man pride kicks in, logic goes out, right? Uh, and, and some of you all know exactly what I'm talking about because this thing called pride is a, is a dangerous thing. And, and it often causes a lot of hardship, way more than we could ever dream. And, here, and here's the thing about pride is this. Maybe you've heard this before. Pride gets ugly, right? And pride gets dangerous, and pride becomes consuming. As a matter of fact, uh, there's an old saying that goes something like this. Pride is the only disease known to man that everybody around the person gets sick except for the one who has it. Right? In other words, when, when we can so easily see somebody else ruining their life. Am I right? But oftentimes the very person who's ruining their life can't see it for themselves. And this is the very nature of pride. It is destructive. As a matter of fact, there's a man named uh, Alexander White, and he once said it like this, it is out of self-love that all other evil passions spring. Hmm, true. And another guy named William Barclay said it like this, pride is the ground in which all other sin grows. I have no idea who these guys are, but they are right. Pride is the root of so many struggles in all of our lives, right? Uh, I remember reading a story about uh, a US Air Force plane. It was a transport plane back in the 1950s. They were flying transport routes over Alaska. Six men were on this plane, the captain and five crew members, and the, the, the navigator uh, realized he was in trouble, that somehow he was off course, but he couldn't quite figure out how much and all that, so they radioed the base back, true story, 1950s. They radioed the base and, and reported their coordinates, and, and they were informed that they were several hundred miles off course, several hundred miles. And, and the, uh, the base, you know, said as much as possible that they need to get back on course and they gave him the right coordinates. They said, you're going to be in trouble if you don't change course. But the problem was the navigator thought he was right and the base was wrong. The navigator thought that, that he could not possibly be that far off only to be proven in a little while that they started to run out of gas and eventually they had to abandon ship as they say or jump with parachutes and here's the thing, uh, they jumped into 70 below weather and within minutes all six of the crew members died. All six died. Now, Now listen, here's what the scripture says and it gives this warning about this thing called pride. This is what it says. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes. Have you ever heard this before? Have you ever known anybody like this? Have you ever been this person? where well, the way of the, of the fool seems right. Well, you ever like had the whole world telling you you're wrong about something? I have, and yet you go, I'm right about this, right? And all the smart people in your life is pointing in the other direction, but you keep going where you're going. And it says the way of a fool the way of the fool um, seems right in his own eyes, but he who, needs, uh, who heeds the counsel is, is wise. Now listen, the results may not be so dramatic with you, you know, it may not be life and death for you, but let me tell you something. Pride kills in lots of different ways. It doesn't just kill physically, sometimes it does. But it kills relationships. And it kills your relationship with God. It separates you with God. When you come to this point, when I come to this point where we say, God, I know what's best. God, I know the direction I need to go and and everything in you and everybody around you is pointing in another direction. But you keep heading where you want to head in spite of it all, it it never ends well, does it? It just doesn't. And and so we're in the series right now we're calling Old School. and it's our journey through the Old Testament part of the Bible. Now, some of you guys know this already, but the Bible is one big book made up of all these little books, and there's 66 little books, and essentially, it's divided up into two major sections, the Old Testament and the New Testament. You all with me so far? And we as a church have been kind of journeying through the Old Testament part of the Bible. And every year we, we try to go through a couple of books and we come back to it. And, and the point is, is we're trying to learn the story of God because we want to see how we fit into the never-ending story of God. And now as a church, we're in this series called Isaiah. We're in the old school series and we come to the book of Isaiah. And Isaiah was one of the great prophets of God. Now, if you've been here for the last couple weeks, you'll, you'll know what I'm talking about because these, these prophets, they were, they were the voice of God on earth, right? They spoke for God on earth. Um, and, and what's interesting is when we read the prophets, oftentimes we, we think that they're mad or we think that they're angry or frustrated at everybody, but we learn that they're really not what it is is that they see the world like God sees the world. And they hear the world like God hears the world. And they feel the pain of the world like God feels the pain of the world. And God says that the world's broken and God sees that the world's broken. And so Isaiah and the other prophets, they wanna, they wanna do something about it. And, they, and there's this passion that rises up in them, this fire that rises up in them because they want to bring heaven to earth. To earth. They they want to see something different in this world. And so they often are mistaken as very angry, but they're not angry at all. And now... This book, Isaiah, we're kind of tracking through it, and we're in chapter 14 today. We're gonna look at chapters uh, 13 and 14 a little bit. So if you have a Bible or a smartphone, I would love for you uh, to turn to that book. Go to Google and just Google Isaiah 14, hit on the first thing that comes up, and you'll be able to track along, and I think it'll serve you well. I think you're gonna find this very, very interesting because Isaiah, in chapter 14, he begins to warn against the folly of pride. He, he begins to warn against this pride that wells up inside of people and inside of nations. And he, and he begins to say, there's a warning that goes on. He begins to say, listen, if you don't somehow change course, it will not end well for you. And, and one of the things that we're gonna learn is, as you're reading through the book of Isaiah is that it is a tough book to understand. Anybody trying to read it with us here? then you'll know it's, it's a tough book to get. It's a tough book to understand. And one of the reasons why I think that there are so many interpretations of this book and it's hard to get, get it all and to make sense of it all is because of the very nature of the writings of a prophet. Now, I want to go deep together. I want us to get this in our mind. You see, any of the Bible books that are, that are uh, a book of the prophets, they all have this, this style of writing that's very interesting. It's like they're throwing everything in the kitchen sink at you. Right? And so what they're doing, in, in one section, they will talk about global history, and they'll talk about local history, they'll talk about the history of the people of Israel, all together, and then they'll talk about, about kings and priests, and then they'll talk about individuals, and then and, and everybody in between, and all in the same section, they'll talk about, uh, about the folly of man, and the foolishness of man, and some of the situations that are going on in mankind. Then they'll talk about God, of course, and about how God is different, and God is holy, and God is perfect, and God is sinless, and he'll talk about the sin of man. He'll mix all of this together in their writing. And it gets a little bit confusing. And, and to make matters worse, or more difficult to understand, the very nature of a prophet, the reason we call them a prophet is because what? They can prophesy. They can look into the future. A word, and we're going to talk about this a little bit more next week, but, but the idea of the prophets is that they were able to see into the future in ways that you and I could not see. God would give them this special gift of seeing. And so a prophet like Isaiah, he would often write about what's happening right now, and then he would write about what's gonna happen in the future and he'll just mix this all together and you're like reading it going, hey, what is going on here? What is going on? So I admit, this is very, very difficult to understand and I can tell you this, I have been studying this stuff like crazy for the last several weeks and I can tell you I'm officially confused on a whole bunch of it. Uh, But we're gonna try together to make a little bit of sense of chapters 13 and 14 because uh, we're gonna learn that he begins to deal with the rise and fall of empires. Essentially three very specific empires. And he says that there's a reason why, why empires rise and why they fall. And listen, why you and I as individuals rise and fall. And he brings this all together in two little chapters, but it can be very confusing at first. So I wanna get you up to speed a little bit on context. I wanna show you three maps because the world was radically changing at the time of Isaiah, and Isaiah is looking into the future here in these chapters, and he's beginning to describe stuff that is literally unbelievable for the people of their day to hear, but you and I get the privilege of looking backwards on it, and we can make a little bit more sense of it. Isaiah literally speaks of the rising and the falling of three different empires in these two chapters. Very interesting. The first empire that we learn about is the Assyrian Empire. Now, how many people have heard of the Assyrian Empire? Heard of it? Why do we send you to school? Come on, the Assyrian Empire. They were the ruling dominant force during Isaiah's time. Isaiah was writing around 720, anywhere between 7 and 740 uh, BC. And uh, the Assyrian Empire was the global dominant force in the entire world. Uh, They were the power of the world. And here's what Isaiah does in this chapter. Now imagine this now. The Assyrians rule the world with an iron sword. And Isaiah comes along and says... You ain't gonna rule for long. There's other people out there. There's this little town called Babylon that's gonna turn into a big empire and they're gonna destroy you. And you know how the Assyrians felt about that? They're like, what are you talking about? What are you smoking? You know, they're they're like, you're crazy. There's nobody who's gonna beat the Assyrians, nobody. And Isaiah comes along and says, things are going to change. He says there's this little nation called Babylon that's gonna come. And they are going to rise to be the greatest force on earth. And, and this is what their map looks like 100 years later. Now remember, he speaks this 100 and some odd years out. And this is what it looks like 100 years later. The Babylonians had come in and had crushed... The, the Assyrian empire, and what's interesting about the Babylonians is they did it different. You see, when the Assyrians came into a, a region and took over a region, what they would do is they would you know, rule with an iron fist, and they would tax the people to death, but they would let their society exist, and, and as long as the tax money was coming in, kind of sounds familiar, you could do what you want, right? And, and, and so, Isaiah says, you think you had it bad under the Assyrians, You haven't seen anything yet until you see the Babylonians because you thought what was bad is going to become terrible. And here's what happens with the Babylonians. They come in and they rule in a totally different style. Their empire was built by coming in and crushing a region and get this, taking tens of thousands of people out of a region and moving them to another part of their empire to build and be enslaved. And so they come into the people of Israel, the people Isaiah was dealing with. And they come in and they sweep in and literally take tens of thousands of Israelites out of the land and they move them to what is now day, present day uh, Iran, to the city of Babylon. And they are enslaved. They, they literally become slaves of the people of Babylon. And this had never happened to them before. This had never happened. And so Isaiah is telling them what's going to happen. These people are going, You don't know what you're talking about. We will always be in Israel. We're Jews. This is where we belong. And it wasn't so. And Because we know, in history, they called this the great exile. Have you ever heard of this term? The great exile of history? Because the Babylonians exiled entire people groups to different parts of the planet. That's how they did it. Interesting, isn't it? But Isaiah says, that's not where it's going to end. He says, oh yeah, Babylon's going to take over. But there's another nation that's going to take over. I'm going to read a prediction that he makes hundreds of years in advance. This is very interesting. Hundreds of years in advance. This is what he says. It's found in chapter 13, uh, starting in verse 17. It says this. See, this is God speaking on, through Isaiah. Okay, it says, see, I will stir up against them the Medes. Who, anybody remember the Medes? Anybody remember the Medes? The Medes. Come on. Come on. The Medes. How about the Persians? Persians. Anybody Persians? Same empire. They, they started off as the Medes. But very quickly, within like eight, nine years, they became the Persian Empire. So it's the same people group, make sense? So the Medes and the Persians. Now listen to what Isaiah says, hundreds of years in advance. There are no Medes and Persians at this time, okay? Listen, he says this, this is crazy, but he says, See, I will stir up against them the Medes who do not care for silver and have no delight in gold. Their their bows will strike down the young men. They will have no mercy on infants, nor will they look with compassion on children. Babylon, the jewel of kingdoms, listen, the great Babylon, the pride and the glory of the Babylonians will be overthrown by who? God. So he's saying that God's going to raise up a whole different empire called the Medes and the Persians to take over Babylon. And these people were looking at this going, this is crazy. This is crazy. Because that's exactly what happens. Look at this little map up here. Uh, The Medes and the Persians literally become not only the dominant force in the earth, but the greatest empire the world had ever known at that time. And Isaiah comes along saying, the mighty Babylonians are going to, or the mighty Assyrians are going to fall. Then the mighty uh, Babylonians are going to fall. And then there's this nation called Persia. The, the Medes are going to take over. And these people were going, excuse me, uh, Isaiah, what are you talking about, man? You're, you're crazy. Now you and I, we can look back into history and we can see it exactly, happened exactly like Isaiah said, right? You see that. Right, That's that's how history came to be. But listen, friends, there's a huge learning in this for you and me. We could easily lose Isaiah's main point with all this. His main point is not who uh, is gonna rule and win. You realize the main point of this whole text is gonna become something different. He's gonna give us a warning as to why nations rise and why they fall. And he's gonna give us a warning as to why people like you and people like me rise and fall In our life, he's gonna teach us something that we cannot miss. And it's found in verse 12. So I'm gonna ask you to follow along. We're gonna read this little passage together Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12. We're gonna start there. Now, I gotta warn you though, uh, this little section of passage is a very debated section of Scripture. There are people, very smart scholarly people who study the Bible all the time who think that Isaiah is simply talking about earthly kingdoms and why they rise and fall and why individual earthly people rise and fall. Then there are other people who think that this is all a metaphor to Satan himself falling from heaven and, and being you know, pummeled to the earth and all, you know, the whole pride of Satan. Now what's interesting, there's another group of people who think it's both who think it's both at the same time. And that's where I probably fall. Is, and this is very confusing stuff, but but when we're gonna read this together, you're gonna see language that makes you go, huh, this is an earthly, kind of a thing. And then you're gonna see other languages which you go, huh, this is a celestial or divine or an eternal sort of a thing he's talking about. And I think there's a reason for that. Because the issue is not who's rising and falling, it's why they are rising and falling. And we're gonna learn this together, okay? You guys ready? Verse 12. Y'all ready? You ready on video? You ready? Here we go. Here we go. It says, how you have fallen from where? Heaven. So immediately he puts it in the celestial realm, right? So it says, so how you have fallen from heaven, from heaven, morning star, sun of the dawn. Any Bible people out there recognize those phrases? Morning star, right? Son of the dawn, right? These are phrases that you hear throughout the Bible. And, and, uh, and then it says this, you have been cast down to the earth. You once uh, laid low the nations. Now verse 12 is very interesting. He addresses the, the morning star. And the Hebrew word there is, is this word, Hillel. And it literally means the the bright one or the shining one. And it's linked elsewhere in the scripture to a word or name of the enemy of God, Lucifer. Now, what do we know Lucifer or Satan by? We know him as the angel of light, right? Or angel of deception, and it's linked to this idea that he's bright and he's shiny and that he can convince and he can persuade, right? And, and, and so right away, when you read this, you go, at least to me, I go, Isaiah's getting at something deeper, He's not just talking about you and me and rising and falling and empires. He's saying there's something deeper at work here. And he's linking this idea to to what drives a person and what drives a kingdom. It's the heart, it's the spirit behind. Now, one of the things we know from ancient Hebrew uh, literature and from the writings in the scripture is that it was very clear that the worldview of people like Isaiah when they wrote is they understood that there was a spirit behind these evil kingdoms, like, have you heard this before? Like the Assyrians and Babylonians, that they, were, they weren't just nice guys who ruled the world, that they were evil tyrants and that they were driven by the enemy of God, right? And, and we know from history, if you, if you look back and you can see the Assyrians, Babylonians and the Persians, they thought as emperors and kings, they thought that they were God. You, you hear this, right? You remember this from Romans, right? They thought that they were God, that, that they were the sons of God, that they were the sons of, of deity. You okay? Perfectly fine. Um, can I get Greg? Are you okay? Yeah. Am I doing something wrong? No. Okay, let Greg, go talk to Greg. Are you okay? No. Okay. Thank you. It's okay. 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 Thank you. Just give a second here. Okay. All right. Um, so thinking back into history now, y'all with me? Okay, think back into history. The the, uh, Persians and the Assyrians and the Babylonians, they all thought they were gods. And Isaiah is reaching into this thinking saying, hey, there's a reason they think this, that they're demonically influenced. Does that make sense to you? And so now, this is why he says this is happening. Now listen to this, this is so important, you guys. Verse 13, it says, you said in in your heart, listen, you said in your heart, now he switches this to very earthly language. Listen, I will, listen, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will, like a kid, like a little two-year-old going, I will not, I will not, I will. Like you're two years old, and you're telling me what to do, right? You can see this kind of childish behavior, this pride in them, right? He says, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly, on the utmost mountains of Mount Zephron. And Mount Zephron was the Babylonian sacred temples. And so he's linking this to something spiritual. He's linking the rising and the falling of nations and people to something spiritual. You see that? You see what's going on here? And then he says this, I will sit and throw it on the Mount of, of Zephron, and then he says this, I will ascend, this is why people fall. He goes, I will ascend above the tops of the cloud and I will make myself like the most high God. Can, can you see what's happening here? Isaiah's saying, you think you rule the world because you got the biggest sword? You think you rule the world because you can somehow command people? You you somehow occupy territory? He says, You think you rule the world because, because somehow you can push around your wife at home? Or somehow you can be Mr. Bad Dude out there in the world and, and be a jerk to everybody. You think you rule the world, you got another story coming to you because there is a fall coming after pride. You heard that before, right? That pride comes before the fall. Now, you and I would never say that to God. We would never say, hey, listen, don't tell me what to do. You and I know we don't do that, right? Here's what he says happens when you say, I will, to God. When you try to tell God what to do and how to do it and when to do it. He says this, but you are brought down to the realm of the dead, to the depths of the pit. Uh, Those who see you, stare at you, they ponder your fate. Is this the man who shook the earth and made the kingdoms tremble? He's like, look at how far you've fallen. God brings down the proud. And this is not just a warning for kings, this is a warning for us. You see, part of the problem with pride is that it's easy to see in other people, but it's very difficult to see in us. Am I right? It's very difficult to see in your own life. Uh, i remember this little story uh this little cartoon that came out of the new yorker magazine it kind of just sticks in my mind a little bit and uh it was this lady who was kind of jibber-jabbering toward this other lady and the other lady was kind of like going like i don't want to be in this conversation like oh this is terrible and it showed that the lady was talking all about herself just going on and on and on about herself and then she gets to this point in the conversation the next little cartoon frame where she says all right that's enough talking about me let's talk about you what do you think about me (laughs) right? What do you think? Some of you guys are slow. Um, But pride is deceptive, right? It blinds us. It gives us like a tunnel vision. It it, it somehow, it makes us feel self-reliant. It makes us somehow feel self-justified to our own actions. Pride is a dangerous thing because it becomes more and more inside of us. It consumes more and more of us where we go, I don't need you and I don't need you and I most certainly don't need God telling me how to live. It's my life. Um, there was this little story about Muhammad Ali. Uh, you know, Muhammad Ali was a great boxer, and he also had a little bit of an attitude issue. You all know that, right? Uh, Muhammad Ali was truly uh, an interesting character. And there's a story that comes from a stewardess who was the stewardess on a plane trip that he was on. And uh, she was doing her deal, walking up in the, uh, down the aisle, and, and her job was to make sure all the passengers had the seatbelts on, right? And so she saying, hey, put your seatbelt on. And she gets to Muhammad Ali, and he's not wearing a seatbelt. And she, she literally says to Muhammad Ali, sir, very simple, you need to put your seatbelt on. Now, if you know about Muhammad Ali, you pretty much don't tell him anything. And Muhammad Ali's response, he says it out loud for everybody on the plane to hear, he goes, <laughs> and he says it in his normal Muhammad Ali way, he says, Superman don't need no seatbelt. Now, if you ever heard Muhammad Ali talk, he kind of talk like that, you know, Superman don't need no seatbelt. And this lady was so quick-witted, she says, well, that's okay because Superman don't need a plane either, right? But, but pride does this thing, right? Where we think that we are truly self-sufficient. Pride is dangerous and pride works in all sorts of ways and, and it sneaks up on us. And it, I think there are some warning signs and I'm just gonna share some that I see in my own life. It's just some stuff from my own life. And my guess is it's not just me. My guess is it's probably more of us than we'd care to admit. That pride is hurtful in our life. So here's what I'm learning is that pride wants its own way. When you find yourself wanting your own way and having to win every time, there's probably an issue going on that's deeper than you realize. Uh, Just a few days ago (laughs) in my house, my my daughter uh, was doing her very first college class and she's writing an English paper and it's a persuasive paper. And so uh, you know how like these college things, there's all these like rules and you gotta write these kinds of sentences and all that. But my daughter wisely, comes to her father for advice wisely. I mean, and it makes perfect sense. I write every week. I stand in front of crowds of people and try to persuade them, right? So it makes perfect sense, you know? And and so she comes, and we start digging into this college paper, and we're writing it. You know, I'm like, oh, hey, try this. And, oh, that's real good. And and I'm thinking, this is great. This is going to blow the professor away. Now, remember I told you about this young, smart wife I had? She's over across the table going you don't even know what you're doing, do you? And I'm like, what? Of course I do, you know? And, and so this little kind of argument ensues, and, and what I mean by argument is like, I'm arguing and she's just shaking her head. That's pretty much the argument because Lynette doesn't really argue. And, and so I'm like, honey, this is fine. I'm talking to my daughter. I said, honey, this is fine. This is gonna be great, you're unbelievable. My wife's saying, this doesn't even follow the rules. This doesn't even follow the little thing that they're telling you to follow. What are you doing? This is all wrong. And I'm like, it'll be fine. It will be fine, turn the paper in, it's great. Well, let me just put it this way. We, we get the paper back from this professor and I don't think there were two sentences that he liked. I, I just ruined it, you know? But this is how pride is, right? Pride makes you dig your heels in. And pride makes you say, no, 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 you don't know what you're talking about. Pride makes you feel like you know it all, that you can do it all. Now you can do whatever you want, whenever you want, to whoever you want. Pride is a way of growing inside of us and making us stubborn, even when it hurts us. Listen, that's another thing that pride does, is you want to realize what's going on inside of you, is when you realize that there's a growing stubbornness in you. And some people want to say, oh, I'm stubborn because my family's stubborn. That's just in my blood. No, you're a jerk. You need to stop, right? And this is me. This is me. Listen, this is really true. It's, it's, and you know this, there's a thin line between between perseverance and stubbornness you want perseverance you want to teach your kids you you keep working you keep fighting you don't quit right am i right but there's a there's a line where it crosses and it becomes just stupid it's stubbornness right uh, and at times i, I gotta admit it, i'm simply unteachable And I realize this about myself. And it is not good. It does not end well. And and it becomes very destructive. And I don't need to stand up here and give you 14 examples of why my stubbornness has hurt my life. Because you know what? You know that your stubbornness has hurt your life. And it has cost you big time. And you know what? I'm not even talking about money. Stubbornness has cost almost every one of us, us in this room stubborn. Like, I'm gonna show those cops I can drive the way I want. How did that work out for you? Right? I'm not talking about money, though. What what the pride of stubborn, the the kind of stubbornness that comes from pride, what it costs us is, is our friendships. It costs us our relationships. It costs us our parenting. It costs us our parents and our siblings and our marriages because we have to be right. And friends, if we're not careful, God's gonna oppose us one day. Here's how the scripture says it. 1 Peter 5, it says, all of you, pause for a second. I was thinking about what this word all of you means, this little phrase. I've determined that it means everybody. Us. You and me. It says, all of you. Clothe yourselves with what? Come on. Humility toward one another. Because why? God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Listen, this thing can be dangerous if we, if we don't check it. It can be dangerous. Uh, let, me, let me tell you another thing that pride does. Pride gets annoyed. Pride gets irritated easily. Um, and am I, You gotta ask yourself, am I becoming less patient with those that I say I love? Then there's something wrong in you. It's not just a patience issue, it's a pride issue. It's a demanding issue. Um, back in the day, when uh, I was younger, I used to play uh, uh, two-on-two volleyball, like the beach volleyball stuff. I loved it. And I was sweet. Until I went to Colorado and I wasn't so sweet. Here's what happened. So we go we go out to Colorado and uh, my brother-in-law and my best friend is out there and, and we played a lot of volleyball growing up and played in all these tournaments and stuff. And we thought we were you know, pretty good. I was about 30 at the time. And uh, so we get there and we go, hey, let's go play some volleyball, like old time's sakes, right? And, and he goes, I know the place, the university in town, Colorado University. Man, it has sweet nuts. It's gonna be sweet. We go down there. There's people down there all the time. So I go, uh, I go, you know, we go down there and there's, we walk in and there's like, all these sweet nets and sweet, you know, uh, playing areas, but there was nobody there, nobody there. And, like, we're the only two people there. And we're like, this is so sweet. I've never been around this nice and nets. These are, like, professional, and they're even sponsored by Budweiser. Like, these nets are like, whoa! perfect. And I'm like, I'm not even a drinker, but I'm excited about being sponsored by Budweiser right about now. This is amazing. This is so good, but there was nobody to play with. Until about maybe 45 minutes later, these two younger guys, about 20, about five or six courts down, uh, they they come walking out and they're hitting the ball around. And and so Tom and I are scoping them out and I'm like, Tom, I think we could take them. I'll go ask them to play. And so, you know, I go down there and I'm like, hey guys, you know, uh, we're just out here hitting the ball around. You guys are over here hitting the ball around. Why don't we just you know, why don't we play a little bit, you know? Nobody else is here, let's just let's do it, you know? And they're like, no nah, man, we're just we're just hanging out a little bit, we're just loosening up. And I'm like, okay, you know, uh, I don't see why you don't want to play. I mean, but okay. And so I walk away and about ten minutes later I'm like, we're just hitting the, I'm like, the guy's are just hitting the ball down. I'm gonna go back and ask them again. And so I go down there, do the same thing, like, come on man, let's uh, let's play the ball around a little bit. You know, let's let's just do it, you know? And they're like, No, nah, man, and so I go down a couple more times and eventually I'm like, come on, man, let's just play. Man, I'm from Detroit. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm getting annoyed at this point. I'm, I'm thinking to myself, why not play? I mean, you're here, we're here, we got a ball. Let's play the game, okay? And so, and I'm like, we'll take it easy on you, man. It'll be great. Let's do it. You know, and they go, all right, all right, cool. So we get to the court. The first sign that I was in trouble should have been when they took their shirts off and they were ripped. And uh, so we proceeded to play the game. I think it went something like this, 15-0, 15-1, and 15-2. Just like that. And about the end of the third game, I'm going, these guys aren't local boys hitting the ball around. There is some, I couldn't even see the ball. And they were hitting so hard, we couldn't even touch the ball. I mean, this was at a whole different level than I'd ever seen before. And so I'm like, all right, enough of this. I'm like, what, what, what's going on here, guys? And they go, uh, you don't notice the nets and the fields? This isn't like regular ball here. This is set up for the pro tournament. There's like the 50 of the top players in the world are coming in tomorrow to play the tournament, and that's us. See ya, right? I mean, we got spanked, you know? But but listen, pride does that. Pride digs yourself a hole, right? Pride sets yourself up for a, a fall. Pride comes before the fall. Proverbs 16 says it like this, 16, 18, listen to this. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before the fall. Do you believe that? When you and I set ourselves up as saying we don't need God, We don't need anybody else. There's nowhere to go but down, nowhere. And I'm learning this these days. Here's one more thing very quickly is that pride hides. Pride hides. Here's what I mean. When you find yourself hiding behind this facade of life, then you know there's a bigger issue going on. Here's what I mean. we, we, We say this, we say, I'm good, my health's good, my money's good, my friends are good, my marriage is good. My job is good, my soul is good, my emotions are good. When you know full well that your soul is broken inside of you, you know it. But we put up these facades as if somehow we're trying to convince the world that everything is perfect and everything is fine. Well, the Bible calls that pride and it sets you up for a deeper and bigger fall in your life. We, we, we Listen, to all of us have probably got that phone call from somebody who, who you thought was a perfect family, you thought was a perfect marriage, and you thought they had it all together, and your phone rings, and they're like, hey, yeah, we're getting a divorce. Have you ever had that happen? You just go, what? What are you talking about? You guys are perfect. You guys got it all together. And they say, you don't even know. Or, or it's that person who you know is struggling with addiction. Everybody knows he's struggling with addiction, but they say, I'm fine, I'm fine. I got it all together. Alcohol's not an issue for me, I'm okay. And you're going, you're the only person in the world who thinks that. Why do you think that? What are you hiding behind? Friends, it's a deeper issue called pride that's gonna destroy your soul. It's gonna destroy your life and it's gonna set you up for a fall. Someone once said it like this, the only person God sends away empty is a person full of himself. You need to take a picture of that right there. Right there. I'm telling you, right, you look at that. The only person that God sends away empty is a person who's full of himself. Pride is this nature that says, I don't need God. I don't need anybody. I don't need anything. Here's how Jeremiah the great prophet says it like this. He says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, and who can know it? In other words, we kid ourselves. In other words, we fool ourselves into saying, everything's fine, I'm fine, don't worry about me, see you next week. When you know you're not fine. There are things that are broken inside of us. And some days, I'm gonna be honest with you, um, I'm a lot more broken than I would care to admit. And my guess is, is, so are you. I tell you that I have a lot more struggles than I would care to admit. But my guess is, so do you. And we can hide behind this mask thinking that we're gonna make it better and we're gonna fix it. Let me tell you something, friends. Pride is not something that we need to master. Pride is not something that we need to fix. Pride is something that we need forgiveness for. We need God to do what we cannot do for ourselves. Pride is this idea that says, I don't need anybody and God's like going, have you even looked at me? Have you even looked at me what I can do compared to what you can do? If you could fix yourself, you would have already fixed yourself. If you could fill yourself, you would have already filled yourself. If you could have completed yourself, you would have already completed yourself. I can do in you what you cannot do for yourself. What you and I need is forgiveness, not to fix these things. We need God to wipe them clean from our life so we stop hiding behind this thing called pride. Are you with me? Are you with me, friends? Amen? I just want to leave you with this. I want to leave you with this. Uh, James, the brother of Jesus, he talked about this idea of pride. And this is what he said. I just want you to maybe you need to take a picture of this. Maybe you need to write this down. Just let this settle on your soul as we come to an end. Listen to this. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. You feel like you need to be lifted anywhere in life? There's your source. You humbling your heart before God. Me saying, God, I need you. God, I can't do this on my own. And I know some in this room, you're thinking Christians sound weak when we say that kind of stuff. That may be true. I need God to fix what's broken inside of me. And I need to be humble before him to realize that I need that. And I think you do too. Can we pray together? Okay, let's pray together. So Father, we come before you and we just take a moment um, to humble ourselves. God, I'm not saying everybody, but there's a whole bunch of us in here who would admit that there are these little signs of pride creeping up inside of us. But God, you want us to say soft and tender before you. God, you want us to to, to be humble before you, to seek after you. God, you want us to confess our need for you. And so God, all across this room, God, I know that you're speaking into the hearts of men and women right now. God, I I know that you're, you're wanting us to be humble before you. So God, whatever issue, whatever resistance, whatever pride is, is coming between us and you, Father, I pray that your spirit would speak into that and that your spirit would crush it and your spirit would knock it down and you would open our hearts to who you are. God, do something great inside of our lives. God, we yield to you. We confess our need for you. Now, friends, um, before we get out of here, with your heads bowed, real quick, real quick if you feel that there is something you need to talk to somebody about or that you need to talk to God about and you just want to pray with somebody, don't leave this place. Up to my left, to your right, I'll have some friends that'll meet you for prayer. They don't want to lecture you or beat you down. They want to help lift you up before God. So Father in heaven, I pray that your spirit would come over this place. God, I pray that your spirit would move among us and that you would show us grace. And God, that you would forgive the hearts that have been resistant to you. God, that you would soften us. That you would call us. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Y'all good? Y'all good?